0: Chances are, if you're a beard-stroking, blue-singleted, piss and with a visa and everything, or just a basic backyard barbecuing bogan, you own one of these babies. So let us talk about the beer garden physics and the ghetto engineering of LPG in a can. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap <laughs> for buyers here in Shire. Website for that, obviously. Or you can click the card that may or may not catch fire at any second up there now, dude. Now, today's report is inspired by a dude just like you. Only, I'm reading in between the lines here, but he happens to be Dirty Harry's somewhat unhinged and younger brother. Hi, John, I have a question you may be able to answer or shed some light on. Why is, are there no pressure gauges to show the gas level remaining in LPG bottles for the home or chitois? Is it greed on the part of the gas companies say you always refill the bottles early or is it an engineering issue? I ask because even Elgas say to check the gas level in the bottle is to pour hot water down side of the bottle. That question from Mark Crazy Harry. Yes. I don't know what you did to earn that moniker, Mark, but I would love to find out in a confidential follow-up communique. I promise it will remain strictly between us, unless it's a really, really good story. So anyway, look, LPG is unlike a lot of other gases in a bottle, okay, because it's a liquid. You can slosh it around and you feel it moving. And if you've ever wondered why it feels funny when you do that, it's kind of not like other liquids that you slosh around in a can. It's because in a nine kilo bottle such as this, okay, there is notionally about 20 odd litres of fluid sloshing around when the bottle's full but the density of the liquid LPG which is really just propane gas is about half that of water so it's like sloshing around a liquid that only weighs half as much as water does for any equivalent volume and that's why it's kind of that soft and almost slow-mo rolling around sensation when you do that okay and It's not that dangerous LPG because you hardly ever hear of crises involving LPG bottles and given the average dumb shit nature of (laughs) users of this amount of energy, I think that's miraculous and we should pat on the back a whole bunch of engineers and scientists who organised, and regulators incidentally, who organised a system for the use of this stuff so that your average moron doesn't blow himself up with it once a week. That's pretty clever. Okay, so... Basically, the answer to Mark's question is that you can't put, well, you could put a pressure gauge on this thing, but it's not gonna tell you anything. Because when you jam propane into a tight, sort of confined space like this, it liquefies pretty easily. But you need a certain amount of pressure to keep it liquid. And that pressure varies with the temperature. I'll give you an example, okay? If it's a really, really frosty morning one morning, like the the frostiest handshake from your ex-wife ever, like minus 43 degrees C, then it doesn't need any pressure to liquefy the LPG. And by that, I mean it's just atmospheric pressure is enough to liquefy propane gas at minus 43 degrees C, which I think is pretty close to minus 45 degrees F. Anyway, whatever. Don't quote me on that, but Google knows. Okay, so anyway, as the temperature goes up, you need more pressure in the vessel to keep the LPG liquid. Or another way of looking at this is that amount of LPG jammed into this space. It's gonna stay liquid. And as the temperature around the vessel rises and convection works on the steel and the steel conducts heat into the vessel and then convection works on heating up the fluid inside the vessel, then as that happens, the pressure increases. And the pressure is quite significant at elevated temperatures. Like if you've got an LPG bottle on the back of a ute in summer, then It could easily be, you know, 50 degrees C or something of that nature, in which case the pressure could easily be about 18 atmospheres, something of that nature. Anyway, I graphed it so that you can see the relationship between the temperature of the bottle or the temperature of the LPG inside the bottle and the pressure that must be maintained in the vessel to keep this a liquid, all right? And that's why a pressure gauge just wouldn't help. It wouldn't help in the context of telling you how much gas remains. Now, if you want to know how much gas there is in a bottle, a standard big bottle that you get from every servo in Australia is nine kilograms, Okay, And that's a little bit confusing because the nine kilos relates to the fluid. It's not the container, right? It notionally has the capacity to carry nine kilograms of propane. And they call it LPG, but in Australia, LPG for this kind of application is 100% propane. And if you wonder what I'm talking about there, this is the same family of chemicals as petrol, which is notionally octane, right? So it starts with methane, which is the gas that you have plumbed into the mains out the front of your house, maybe. And then it goes... Ethane, propane, butane, pentane, pentane for pentagon 5, hexane, heptane, octane, nonane, decade, blah, 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 diesel. That's how this works, okay? Same family of chemicals. And there's a bit of a cocktail in here, but it, mainly propane, okay? You can think of it like propane, it behaves like propane. For all practical intents and purposes, it is friggin' propane. Okay, so when you connect your barbecue or whatever, your heating torch or whatever you connect to the bottle, as soon as you crack the valve open and start using the gas, there's a liquid sea of propane somewhere down here, okay? And then there's like gaseous propane floating on top, okay? And it's in equilibrium until you open the valve. And then when you open the valve, the pressure drops. And that means the fluid starts to boil, like the liquid starts to boil to replace the propane that you're taking out at the top, which is a gas. And incidentally, the pressure in here is kind of too high to be of practical use in an appliance like a barbecue or a heating torch. So the thing that you screw in here is a regulator, and all that does is it controls the temperature on the... The temperature. It controls the friggin' pressure on the output side. You try standing here for 10 minutes and talk without making a mistake, dude. Come on. Okay, so when you do that, you open the valve, then you turn on the appliance, you start burning gas, and what happens in here is... The liquid propane boils, which is just the liquid changing to a gas to replace the gas that's being used, okay? And then it maintains its equilibrium at a lower level kind of thing. Then you shut the valve, the boiling stops, and your gas bottle waits for the next time you use it. And in fact, if the gas bottle was clear or you had Superman's friggin' x-ray vision or something, you could look at it and it would look just like water boiling, Okay. Now, there's a few things that you need to know about LPG in a can, and one of those things is there's a safety valve built in, hidden in plain sight. They're usually red on the end there. I think that one is. So, yeah, okay. So what that's designed to do is when the pressure gets up to about 25 atmospheres, there's a spring inside the relief valve, and it just opens so that the bottle doesn't go unsafely high in pressure. And this is principally a fire protection mechanism. So if you've got your fat cave on fire and you've evacuated and there's a bottle here getting slowly roasted, when the temperature gets up to, I guess, something like about 70 degrees C, the critical pressure of about 25 atmospheres is reached and the valve opens and it vents the gas. And you think, that's bad, because it's venting flammable gas into a flame... And yeah, that accelerates the burning process, but it prevents what's called a blevy, boiling liquid expanding vapour explosion, which is a bit too Michael Bay for the firefighters generally. So overall, it's a good thing. And you hardly ever see the pressure relief valve operate in these things because they're well designed. You know, you can be in the bush in Australia in summer and the bottle can be in the sun and it's still at a safe operating pressure. And all that happens is if it gets a little bit too hot, the valve opens, it goes for a little while until the pressure drops to a safe level again, all right? Now, to answer Mark's question about how do you know what's in it, okay? How do you know how much gas remains in the bottle? Well, on the side, there's a whole bunch of really interesting data Okay, it's stamped in there for eternity. You can tell when the cylinder was made, and I think the use by date for these things is about 10 years. So if it's older than 10 years, they in practice don't refill them. Okay, because corrosion, safety, etc. Okay. So that's one of the things you can check on the side. And the other thing is here, TW on the side. TW92, what does that mean? It means the tear weight is 9.2 kilos. All right. So empty with no gas in it, the steel and the valve, 9.2 kilos. So what I'd suggest you do if you want to figure out how much gas you've got left in your bottle is just get one of those spring balance scales like the liars used to measure the fish that they catch. You fish killers, you know what I'm talking about. You caught a 50 kilo fish one day. Anyway, you measure it with a spring balance, okay? So all you do is you get your gas bottle and you hang it you know, off the spring balance and you read the scale. And if it says 14.2, you know, you've got 9.2 kilos of bottle plus five kilos of gas remaining. So you've got a little bit over half of the gas remaining. And uh, of course, if you use those swap and go cylinders, L gas now puts 8.5 kilos in them. And they will explain that that is because some cylinders are a bit close to the edge with nine kilos on board, which I think is just unmitigated bullshit because all cylinders are engineered for nine kilos of gas with an expansion space on the top. So the liquid plus an expansion space, nine kilos for about 21 litres of internal volume, all right? Now... I think what they've done is they've just put eight and a half kilos worth of gas inside because you buy the swap by the bottle. You're used to... The the product is a bottle of gas, and that's a dead easy way for them to just save half a kilo of gas every time, I think. So that's kind of immoral and unprincipled, and I think their explanation is just a piece of self-serving bullshit. Hey, I'd be happy to hear from them if I'm wrong, but I suspect what I'll hear is deafening silence because I don't think I am. So anyway, if you have some sort of unfortunate event where you've got, like I have, I use this this bottle for a heating torch, okay, and basically if, for example, I were to forget to turn the valve off when I'm finished and I just turn it off at the torch and let's say it sits there for a couple of weeks and worst case scenario, something falls onto the hose or the hose perishes because it's a bit old and it starts to leak. You've got to be a bit careful about that because in a fairly static air environment like the fat cave or your workshop at home, the gas is heavier than air. So it sinks to the bottom. And what it can do is it can occupy low spots, like it can sink to the floor, flow along the floor like some malicious friggin' entity and then enter drains and things of that nature or even like potholes or whatever you know the sewer it can go down the waste in a shower recess or the floor waste of a toilet or something like that and just sit there and just wait for a source of ignition because on the boundary between the little lake of LPG and the air on top is a flammable zone and all you need to do is spark it up and that will set it off which could be quite interesting and or disastrous. Okay, the other thing you need to know, I guess, about LPG is it's a pretty interesting chemical in as much as you've seen plenty of LPG explosions. Because if you've watched uh, Michael Bay or any of those movies of that nature with Bayhem, the big expanding fireballs are almost always LPG, you know, where you've got a really long lens shot of the rock or someone running away from a building and there's a massive explosion meant to signify sort of, you know, high explosive or something. It's almost always a fireball of LPG. High explosive is actually not that dramatic in the context of its visual presentation because it reacts too fast and it's just boom and over, whereas a big expanding ball of lpg that's on fire sometimes they use kerosene as well but lpg is a, a stalwart of hollywood special effects especially in-camera effects, like shot on location, not so much the VFX stuff, but the in-camera stuff, you've seen a lot of it, okay? Uh, I don't know what else to tell you about LPG, except check the date on the bottle. Obviously, don't use one that's out of date and get one of those scales. I'll put a link in the description to the scales if you want, and uh, that'll allow you to weigh the bottle and definitively know how much is left. And as for crazy Harry's comments about is this absence of the valve just there so that you replace the bottle early. There's absolutely no problem with a bottle like this just running it empty. This is in stark contrast to the gases used for welding, for example, with in particular oxygen gas, you know, you should never run an oxygen gas bottle empty because those bottles use compressed gas and you're usually mixing it with a fuel in a torch, right? And what can happen is if you run an oxygen bottle, like in a plumber's oxyacetylene set or something, if you run the oxygen bottle empty, it can cause acetylene to backflow into the bottle. And one thing you definitely don't want to do is mix acetylene and oxygen together, right? Because acetylene is just the girl who can't say no when it comes to reactivity, okay? and For this reason, with oxygen bottles and things of that nature, you should basically stop using them at some sort of low pressure like fifty psi gauge or something, right? And usually you get an oxygen bottle, it's gonna be at sort of two thousand Psi. So you've got most of it is being used. Fifty is a tiny minimal sort of amount, it's like four atmospheres or something. Whereas with LPG, you can use it until literally it sucks on a dry tank and no more comes out. The big difference, of course, with a lot of the gases used in welding processes like CO2 and argon and oxygen, they don't liquefy under pressure. They're hard to liquefy, and methane's a bit like that too. Like, it's really hard to liquefy all of those gases just by pressurising them. So when you buy cylinders of those gases, they tend to be just under very high pressure. They've got much thicker walls than this kind of LPG container, and they're at 10, 15, 20 times the pressure, and all they contain is gas. And in that case, a pressure gauge is a very reliable indicator of how much gas is remaining in the bottle, but not so much with LPG. With other gases like methane, which is natural gas, the stuff that runs in the main and the street, and oxygen, nitrogen, gases of this nature, you need a complete new level of engineering architecture to liquefy those gases and if you want to transport a lot of that stuff obviously liquefaction makes sense because you can carry so many more kilos of gas as a liquid but in order to liquefy methane or oxygen or nitrogen you have to really chill it down to so-called cryonic temperatures and you have to carry it in a super insulating vessel And the only way they can maintain the temperature, which has to be sort of minus 150 to minus 200 degrees C, like it's on the way to absolute zero. The only way they can maintain that temperature for the duration of a voyage by a huge tanker vessel or something is to continuously allow some of the gas to vent off. That's the only way to do it. So it's a real problem transporting some of these gases that are reluctant to liquefy. If you see LNG ever written on the side of a tanker that's liquefied natural gas. It's the same stuff that runs in the street in the main that you burn in your stove if you've got a gas stove and you need a huge complex system behind it to transport that kind of thing as a liquid for an energy source like we're a net exporter of things like methane we send a lot of methane to other markets in ships and they all need to be rigged up like that which is complex and energy intensive whereas the elegant thing about this system is that it handles itself it maintains itself in a liquid state and the temperature outside varies, meaning the temperature of the vessel and its contents varies, and it adapts by manipulating the pressure inside to maintain the liquid and the gas reserve on top, which is absolutely brilliant, subject to the safety relief valve not operating, right? So it's a self-maintaining system throughout the range of conceivable operating temperatures and pressures, which to me is just absolutely brilliant and elegant, and you don't even need a bottle that's that robust to hold it. Now, I did cop a bit of shit in the comments yesterday, frankly, vis-a-vis my placement of extinguisher and fire blanket just up here, okay? And fair enough, I think I deserved it, but not for the reasons put forward by many of you. Arguably, John, you've located the extinguisher and blanket too high up the wall. The extinguisher should ideally be at floor level or with the handle valve at a height of no more than about one meter. Placing it at the height you have risks possible injury to the person and it may not be you who may be trying to pull the unit from its bracket in somewhat of a hurry. That's from a dude named Ray Jennings, who, apart from being an enthusiastic contributor to the program in the comments over a long period of time, hashtag respect, is also a fire inspector. So he's a dude who knows what he's talking about and I understand why he drew that conclusion. And... He was not alone. I would make one slight adjustment to the fire extinguisher next to the garage door. Place it lower. Have the top of the extinguisher not higher than your shoulders to make it as easy as possible to take it off its hook. Thanks very much, Ray and Chris. Those comments are absolutely valid and... I take them on board. I probably didn't illustrate this setup particularly well in yesterday's report because I got a bit obsessed with where was I and how could I also get the extinguisher and the blanket in the frame. And I guess that shot yesterday didn't demonstrate exactly how this is set up. Obviously, there's a staircase here. And I just did think about the ergonomics of fire extinguisher retrieval and I'll run them through with you now. If you want to check out the report yesterday, I will put a link uh, Up there, maybe. Okay, so obviously I'm standing on a little triangular landing right here, and the height of the handle of the extinguisher is... 1.2 metres. I presume you can see that there. I'm not really sure, but anyway, it's it's 1.2. And from an ergonomics point of view, retrieval, for me at least, works like this. And let's not forget, right, that nine kilos is not exactly that heavy. Like, an average two-year-old male child is about 12. So if you can lift one of those, you can lift one of these, especially given the adrenaline, cortisol, noradrenaline situation involved with, holy shit, the joint's on fire, baby. So I don't think retrieval is a problem either coming down the stairs or going up one, two, three, four stairs to the landing to get the extinguisher. And I had to put it in the corner like that because obviously I still need to be able to walk up the staircase carrying, you know, heavy shit. To Ray in particular, I must apologize because I have trespassed upon his specification of not more than one meter above the notional floor height for the handle slash valve of the extinguisher. I admit it, I freely admit it, I have done this. Guilty, Your Worship. I have transgressed by 20% or approximately one Ron Jeremy in the old money, 200 millimetres today more or less. So I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of you in the audience and request a ruling under section 10 of the Crime Sentencing Procedures Act which would be a conviction without penalty and I say this because think about the staggering number of fat caves dotted across our Wide brown land. Think about the number that have sparks flying three, four, five, six or even seven days a week in the complete absence of any fire countermeasures whatsoever. I think that's a great pity. So that was the point of that whole report actually is just get off your ass and protect your fat cave because we don't want you to burn the joint down. We want you to have fun, dude. And I've had fun and burning the joint down. That's not it.